All right, guys. Hey, before we start the message, I want to um, acknowledge a few folks this morning um, and pray over them real quick. But two, I think it was two weeks ago, we started our second year's class of the Antioch Discipleship School, which if you're unfamiliar with uh, what we call ADS, Antioch Discipleship School, it's a nine or ten month program where you just devote an extended period of time to really be stretched in the commands of the Lord and to run after the Lord at a, at a fast speed. And challenging yourself to really apply what's in here in the greatest degree you've ever applied it. And it's such a fruitful experience, challenging, but it really stretches and grows our faith in a significant way. Um, and what we want to do is we want to um, pray over those students that they would really meet with the Lord. This would be a significant year of their life. That really God uses this year to mark them and really set them in the trajectory that God has for them in their future. And just to give them the grace as well to keep going even when it's hard. All right, so if you are in the Disciples School, we just stand up to your feet real quick. Go ahead, give it up for these croaks. Give it up for them. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right. Come on. <laughs> so, hey, we're going to pray over these guys. So if you're next to one of them, you can just put a hand on their shoulder or you can just <laughs> put your hands together, however you'd like to pray. And we're going to pray over these guys, all right? So go ahead, start praying just right now in one voice, and I'll close it out. So ready, set, pray. Just ask God for grace over every one of these students that have a great experience. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you. Just pour out your grace over every one of these amazing students. Thank you for their yes to do this school this year. Lord, would you meet them in very significant ways, God. Would you speak to them? Would you heal? Would you restore? Would you strengthen? Would you give them grace to continue to say yes to you? Lord, would you deposit things in their hearts and their lives that last for years to come, Lord? God, we thank you for them. We're behind them, and I pray they would really grow this year in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said amen. Amen, amen. The Lord's with you guys. We're thankful for you. Thanks for jumping into this school. It's going to be a great year. All right, guys. Well, hey, we're going to get started on a new series this week. Um, we're going to go for the next couple weeks. I don't know exactly how long, but we'll go for several weeks on this new series. And we are we just finished up last weekend a conference that we called World Mandate. How many of you guys were there? World Mandate. Several of you guys were there. It's a powerful weekend. If you're unfamiliar with what World Mandate is, it's a, every year the Antioch Movement of Churches, which we're part of a larger movement of churches, we gather together to seek Jesus and to get stirred again for what he is passionate about in the earth. Now, let me comment on the name real quick, as some of you are like, oh, that's interesting. Some of you guys that have been to World Mandate, you're like, yeah, it's just World Mandate. But sometimes that's a weird phrase to people, okay? Especially with the word mandate these days. So um, I want to comment on this and just let you know that G we're going to look into this uh, today and the next several weeks. But Jesus gave this mandate or this commission to go out into all the world to preach the gospel and to make disciples. And he gave that to his followers. And here's what's so cool. You are here because some people took that mandate seriously. The 12 disciples that Jesus said, go and make he, they took it seriously and they spread the gospel and they made disciples. And you have a relationship with God because about 2,000 years ago, people took this mandate seriously. And what this conference does is it reignites our passion and our faith to stay committed to this mission, to stay committed to this mandate to reach the world with the gospel. So it was a powerful weekend. And when we have powerful moments with God, what we, what we want is to see the fruit of that keep going. And I'll say keep growing. 
We don't want just moments with God that we look back and say, that was awesome, but nothing's different now. We want to say, no, Lord, we want to keep reaping the fruit of what God does in special moments like that. So on the heels of World Mandate, we're going to start a series that I'm going to call Therefore Go. Everybody say, Therefore Go. This is taken from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It'll be on the screen. It says this, Then Jesus came to them, his disciples, and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Say it again. Say, therefore, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amazing. So this is recorded in all four Gospels and also in the book of Acts, some, some um, version of this commandment, this great commission is what it's commonly called, to go and to make disciples. Now there is a really clear action point in the middle of that passage. Can you go ahead and put that back up there again, Kelly? I want you just to stare at this for a little bit. There's a really clear action, there's a really clear command of going and making disciples, but, and that's what we're going to dive into the next couple of weeks, but I want you to see that this action, this commission, this, this mission that God's given us is bookended by two really important and really incredible promises. And I don't want us to miss this because we are gonna, we're going to dive into the middle part, but without the other parts, we will, run, we will get, become weary and we will lose heart pretty quickly if we don't know what this mission is surrounded by. Okay, So look at the first part. Here's the first amazing pros, uh, promise. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority does Jesus have? Where? <laughs> in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to Jesus, therefore go. So think about this for a second. No matter where you are in the world, no matter what setting, no matter how receptive people are to Jesus, no matter how cool Jesus is, no matter what, who has all the authority in heaven and earth? Jesus. Every place that you go, it is true that Jesus has all the authority. Why is this important? It's because if we're given this mandate, this mission to go and represent him, we need to, we need to have a security and a confidence that we're going in the right name. That we're going in the right mission. Every knee will bow to the name of Jesus. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. He is the authority. When you go to work tomorrow, guess what? Jesus has authority in your workplace. When you go out to eat for lunch today, guess what? Jesus has authority there. When you are at home, when you're in your car by yourself, when you're scrolling through your phone, no matter what you're doing, it is true that Jesus has all the authority. And what that can do to us as his people, especially considering the context of this mission, is it gives us a great confidence and a peace and a security that he's in charge and that he's the Lord and that he prevails. Tracking with me? Now, if we were going in our own authority and our own confidence, we would probably maybe have some uh, struggle in trying to present something that we're not quite, I mean, maybe is it? No, Jesus' authority is backing this mission to go make disciples. Now, let's look at this second, the other bookend of this. Look at the very last thing Jesus says. This is so great. He says, go out and make disciples, baptize, teach. And then the very last part, he says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So not only do we have his authority backing us, but guess what? He did not send us out alone. 
He is with us. He's leading us. As we're going out and making disciples, as we're representing him, as we're agreeing with this mission, we're not doing it alone. He's literally right by us. He's with us. I don't know, some of you have experience in trying to practice this verse, but in the times that I've tried, even when it's felt really weak, I really appreciate that God's with me, that he's leading me. He's, he's nudging me. He's giving me ideas of to how to say this. He's with us. And that should produce not just a security and a confidence, but a comfort that we don't have to have it all figured out, that he's going to lead, he's going to guide us. Amen? So who has all the authority in heaven and earth? Awesome. And who's always with us? Amen. Does he love us? How much? I love that question. I always love asking my three-year-old Arabella, who's with you? God. Does he love you? Yes. How much? This much. <laughs> he loves you so much. But here's the deal. Here's what we're going to focus on for the next couple weeks is this middle part. Okay? But remember what it's bookended by. We're going to focus in on this mission. We're going to talk about how this plays itself out in our life. Now, as I was preparing this morning and praying, listen, y'all, I got so fired up. I literally got out of my – I had this little room in the front of the, of the hotel that, that the workers let me use. It's just like long table. And as I was praying and just thinking about this, I literally got up from the table and I started walking in circles just saying, yes, Lord, yes, do this, God, do this in our church. Because I believe there is something that God wants to invite our church into that some of us have not yet stepped into because maybe we're a little afraid. But if you take a step of faith this morning and say, yes, I'm in, oh, my gosh, the world's going to change. You're going to change. Jesus is going to get a lot of glory, and you're going to be swept into this story that is so much more glorious than any other story you could be a part of. So let me talk about the story that you're a part of for a second. What I'm going to do is I'm going to very quickly try to summarize the story that God has been writing for thousands of years, and I'm going to contrast that with a pretty common story that I would say we are familiar with or that sounds maybe a little bit more normal to us. So bear with me. I'm literally summarizing the whole Bible. <laughs> Here we go. Here's the story that God's been writing. Here's the narrative, so to speak, that has been going on for thousands of years. Here's where it starts. God. What does the story of God start with? God. It's important. Remember that. God, I'm going to read some of this because I want to I get it. God made us. He created us. He loves us. He created us for relationship. But sin separated us from him and brought brokenness not only into our own lives, but into the world. But God, because he's so loving and wanted that relationship, he chose a people to reveal himself through. That's the people of Israel, the Jewish people. And from this people, the Messiah would come. God in flesh would come, the one that would resolve sin, the one that would, would break that separation and bring us, give us an opportunity to be brought back together with God. And you know who that Messiah is? Jesus. Not only did, G did God confirm that it was Jesus through, I don't know, his perfect life, his death on a cross, hundreds of prophecies fulfilled in just one person, but also he confirmed it by raising Jesus from the dead. You know, my favorite part of this story is for, for over or about 2,000 years, people have not been able to find those bones of Jesus. This story would be a joke if someone said, oh, here they are. I mean, right there. For whatever reason, they haven't been able to find his grave. You can find the grave of Buddha. You can find the grave of Muhammad. You can find the grave of prophets that have gone before. But there's just one problem with Christianity. You can't find Jesus anywhere. Because he rose from the dead. Now, 
Not only did God do that, but Jesus, this good news that Jesus is the Messiah and took away our sins is called the gospel, and we can be saved by him. It started in Jerusalem about 30 AD. Now listen, this is real history. The, the faith that you practice, the God that you serve, the Jesus that we just sang about, like this message started in real time in about 30 AD. So just bear with me, okay? This, this book was not written in the 1980s by some old Christians in America, okay? Billy Graham did not read this, did write this, okay? I love that guy. He's amazing. But he didn't write this. He didn't start there. 30 AD, almost 2,000 years ago, this, this started, and this gospel has been spreading around the world for the last 2,000 years. You know what it's been doing? It's been freeing people all over the earth. It's been healing people. It's been empowering people. It's been transforming people in different nations and different cities all over the earth for thousands of years. And again, it's why we're here. The way that God decided that this message, remember, this message of the gospel that's bookended by his authority and his presence, the way he decided this would spread would be through his people bringing this message to new places. Started in Jerusalem. They spread out to Samaria, and they spread out to other nations around. They were led and guided by the Holy Spirit of where to go, like not this direction, but that direction. And it continued to spread to the Middle East, spread in Europe, spread in Africa. It spread over the, the Atlantic Ocean. It spread over to America. It's been spreading, and the way that God's done it is through his people bringing this message. Nod your head if you're tracking with me. This is a pretty accurate history story. Okay, and here's what's going to happen. According to the word of God, this message is going to continue to spread all over the earth until every single nation, and let me define nation, every single group of people, every people group, every ethnicity, every language, every tribe has a chance to hear this message and has a chance to respond. And after that, the Lord Jesus, this resurrected king who we can't find his bones anywhere, is going to come again. The king of kings, the Lord, he's going to rule and reign. He's going to come to the earth again. He's going to establish his kingdom in person, and he's going to rule and reign forever and restore all things and make all things new. Matthew 24, 14, kind of summarize it this way. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout all, the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now, until then, our role as God's people is to partner with God in whatever way we can and whatever way he leads to be a part of helping see this fulfilled. Now, let me tell you a different story, a different narrative. This one is, I just want you to brace yourself because this might sting, but I want it to sting all of us. It was stinging me this week as I started thinking about how do I think about the story of my life and what story am I in? And why do I believe this certain story? And by story, I just mean like your purpose of existence, where your life is going, what your life is about. Okay, just, just bear with me and just, just let this ring a bell or let this encourage you that you're a part of the right story. But this is the story of, I would say, the American Christian culture. Ready? Here's where it starts. You. And God has a wonderful plan for you. In fact, God's primary focus and concern, what he thinks about every day, is to make sure that your life looks and feels wonderful. That's the main thing he thinks about when he wakes up. There's a, you know, but here's the deal. There's a problem. There's this thing called sin. 
And here's what sin does. It interrupts that wonderful plan that God has for your life. So what do we do? Hey, we need to take that seriously. We need to pray a prayer. We need to get right with God. Because if we don't, the wonderful plan that God has for me might not work out. But if you do pray that prayer and you try to change your life by not doing as many bad things or at least doing a good job covering up those bad things, then God will bless you and will make that wonderful plan come to pass. He exists to make sure, because you're his child now, he exists to make sure that your life is wonderful, that all of your dreams come true, that all of your passions are fulfilled, all of your giftings line, the stars are aligning because God cares about you having a wonderful life. Our role as God's people is to position ourselves the best we can to make sure we fall under God's blessing so he may prosper me and I may have a wonderful life. You got to catch it sometimes, you know, you're just not sure, you know, things don't work out. You're like, let me go this way. Got it. Wonderful. Oh, wait, out. Let me catch this way. Wonderful. But here's a couple of things I want to comment about this. God does have a wonderful plan for you. However, he defines wonderful a little different than we do. And his wonderful plan is more about him than you. <laughs> when I think of a, my wonderful life, now bear with me, I've been getting stinged this week. Because I realize, what do I really want? I want my life to be so easy. Does anybody want your life to be easy? Or am I just crazy? I want a comfortable life. I want a peaceful life. I want just an easy road. But here is the problem this, with this second story is it is very much me-centered. And it has nothing to do with God's mission and God's purpose and God's plan. And before I move on fully from this, I do want you to know that I believe that God is good. He blesses us. He provides for us. He's so good to us. And it's what's so crazy is that sometimes you get what you want. And that sometimes you have peace. And that sometimes you are comfortable. And, and that is fine. And some days feel easy. Anybody thankful for those days? But, but bear with me. I don't think, as I look through Scripture, that's God's primary focus for our life. And I want to shift us in to a better story. Because what's so much better than living for just ease and comfort is being fully convinced that you are walking in the perfect will of God for your life. And are part of His plan and His will. No matter how uncomfortable it might be, the safest and the best place for any of us to land is right in the hands of God and His will and His plan for your life. I have no business being in Arkansas. This is crazy. What are you doing here? <laughs> I don't know how this worked, but for whatever reason, I gave up a, a really, a job I love, the place I love, close to family. I was not asking to leave, and I said, okay, I'm yours, I'm yours, God. And then all of a sudden, he's like, here's my wonderful plan for your life, Mitchell. <laughs> leave it all and go somewhere you've never been. I literally had never been here. And I would not trade it for the world. I would not trade it for anything. 
Because it's just so great to know that you're in God's will for your life and that you're part of a story that doesn't end with just you. I want to be a part of a story that ends with God fulfilling his purposes that he started well before I was even alive. I just want to, I want the Lord to, it's hard, guys. It's hard. We, it's culture adds to this story. And there's a lot of great things about our culture. But I, I just feel like the Lord wants to suck us in to his story. Because it is far better. And here's my, here's a good question I would say for us to ask the Lord, to ask ourselves, is how does my life, the direction of my life, the trajectory of my life, how does it clearly connect to the Great Commission? How does it clearly connect to the purposes and the mission of God that are clearly laid out in Scripture? Because you know what's not clear as you read through this book is exactly what job you're supposed to take and exactly what city you're supposed to live in and exactly who you're supposed to marry and exactly this, that, and the other. But what is really clear in this book is that he has invited us, his people, into an incredible story that will lead to the world having a chance to know Jesus and that will usher in his return. And that sounds like a great story that I want to be a part of. And so a good question is, Lord, how can I, how can my life really clearly be a part of that story? And here's the deal. Here's what's so uh, comforting about this and that can cause us to rest. It's this, God will accomplish his story. He will finish his story. He will, he will accomplish his plan. He'll do it. Isn't that great? He, he, the gospel will go forth into all the world. Every people group on the planet will hear. Je, he is, because he is faithful. He said it would happen, and he's going to do it. Every, he's going to return. The question, though, for us is, is not if God's going to do it, but how much am I going to be a part of helping see that happen? And my, my prayer, the one that just got me fired up walking around in circles this morning was, oh God, make us a church. Make us a people that say yes to this story and that we lean in and we are engaged in the purposes of God around the earth and that we're not those that sit back and hope it happens or watch it happen. But we lean in. Lean in and say, Lord, however you want me to, I'm in. So that's, this is the premise of what we're talking about is letting the Lord invite us into a big story. Now, how many of you guys love being inspired by things? Anybody besides me? How many of you guys just tell me what to actually practically do? Anybody just love that? <laughs> My wife in particular. We make a great team. I like the first one. And so... Over the rest of this message and the rest of the next couple weeks, we'll get into some of the practicals. But let me just pray now, and then I'll get into a couple things that will help us know what to do with this. But I want to just ask the Lord for grace that we would say yes to this story. All right, so y'all pray with me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for saving us. Thank you so much for inviting us into this story. And Lord, I also thank you that we live in America. I thank you that we live in Northwest Arkansas. I thank you for how many tremendous blessings that we have and how many wonderful things we have. We are not ungrateful for those things. We do not despise them. We say thank you, Lord. But God, we ask you in Jesus' name that we would be a people 
We don't get sucked into the wrong story. God, that we don't get deceived by the wrong story. God, we want to be a part of your story, your plans and your purposes in the earth. We want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We want to be a part of something that really changes history. God, we want to be a part of a story that you're writing. So Lord, make us those people, willing vessels. Use us for your glory. We are yours, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I want you, if you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to get into some of this in just a second here. But let me, um, as you turn into Matthew 9, let me uh, tell you, really, here's the practical way to walk this out. Because being a part of God's story is going to look different for every single one of us. It's not a copy and paste. It's not a cookie cutter answer with what it looks like practically. Okay, before we get into Matthew 9, why don't you put up that uh, slide that has the three words, pray, give, go. Here are some handrails, so to speak. Here are some helpful summary of how do we walk out this story really practically. It's three words, pray, give, and go. Everybody say pray. pray. Say give. Pray. Say go. So pray, give, and go. Let me talk about these just for a second. So with praying, here's how you can, this, I'm giving you practicals of how you can engage yourself with God's story. You can pray for God's story to be accomplished. Let me just model this for you. Every one of you can do this. You can steal these prayers, okay? I stole them from the Bible. Okay, ready? God, I pray that the Great Commission would be fulfilled in this generation. God, I ask you that every people group on the planet would hear the gospel and hear it quickly. God, would you send out people all over the earth to preach the gospel and to make disciples? Lord, would you, here's another example. God, would you save my neighbor? Like my real neighbor, the one that lives next to me. God, would you bring them into your keep? My coworkers. God, would you save them? My family. God, would you reveal yourself to them? Father, I pray for your will to be done on the earth. In Jesus' name. You guys can do that, right? I mean, it's just a few seconds just praying these simple things that are from Scripture. That's how we can engage with the mission of God around the world. Around the world. It's not wrong to pray for your own personal provision. It's not wrong to pray for those things. But I want us also to be a people that pray for things bigger than just our own world as well. Give. Okay, listen, guys, what's so amazing about living in this nation is that we are a very uh, wealthy nation, very wealthy. Okay, there's a lot of resources and finances in America, and we should be so thankful, so thankful. And within this room, there's a variety of different degrees, in a sense, but every one of us, no matter if it's like the, one, the, the widow in the, in the Gospels that gave just two little pennies, and the Lord saw it and was pleased, or if it's the rich man that took Jesus, Nicodemus, that took Jesus off the cross, that gave, in a sense, something that cost lots of money so that Jesus could be buried. No matter where we fall, we want to be a generous people. And what we want to give to is the purposes of God. Like, if if there's missionaries sent out, what if we just always gave them at least a dollar? (laughs) It's been one of our mottos. It's like, hey, if you're going to ask us to support you financially, we're going to give you at least a dollar. (laughs) In fact, I took that from the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. Jesus says, if somebody asks you, just give. Okay, cool. I'll do it. At least a dollar. So if you want to go on a mission trip and you want to ask me for money, I will give you at least a dollar. That's my commitment to you, okay? And if all of you ask at the same time, my, my faith might be stretched, but that's okay. I will, I'll, I will follow the Lord's leadership. No matter what it looks like, what if we just were a people that just gave? We just gave. We just, okay, cool, cool. I want to be a part of that. Now, go, it's really simple. It's being a part of sharing your faith. It's being a part of talking to somebody about Jesus. It's, yes, going on a mission trip. It's going to be a part of sharing the gospel in the name of Jesus with people, okay? Here's, that's what I mean by all of those things. Very practically for us, there's easy ways to do that all the time. A lot of church services, 
in a sense, we, I was going to say I make you pray, but I invite you to pray with me. So we pray. We are a generous people. With the money that comes into our church, we give it out for the purposes of God in the world. Go. There's plenty of mission trips to be a part of. Even something like Fall Retreat of Memphis, they're going to also be encountering God, but ministering to people as well. Summer mission trips, we're going to do those every single year. There's plenty of ways to do that. But let me comment before I keep going here. What I just want to make sure we don't do with this. Don't do this. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That one makes me feel uncomfortable, but at least I can do that one. Don't use any of this as an escape. But which one of those things did God say to do? You got it. Oh, he said to pray. He said to give. He said to go. Ah, I don't really like going. I don't feel comfortable with that. But that's, a, I mean, God would never want me to do something that makes me feel uncomfortable. So just like Isaiah prayed, Lord, send them. They'll go. God. So I can pray, but I'm not, I'm not going to go. You know, I, I, can, I can give, but I'm not going to pray. I, you know, we just don't want to do that. Which of those things did Jesus say and we want to be a part of? Even, even a little bit. With the little bit that you have. Pray one little prayer. Amazing. Get one little amount. And go, go just a little bit. Go a step. I want to do the things that the Lord asks us to do. Now let me show you another slide here. Because I'm going to get into something specific for this morning in Matthew 9. But I'm going to show you five quick things that are just helpful reminders for us as we approach this topic. And let me ask this question first. How many of you guys have ever just felt uncomfortable with the idea of sharing your faith with somebody? Has anybody ever felt uncomfortable? Awesome. Okay. There's a few of you that didn't raise your hand. So can you just pray for me after the service? I would love your courage and your boldness. It would be amazing. So what I want you guys to understand is that this is uncomfortable for everybody, but man, I, I want to get, get whatever hinders us, the fear, the fear of rejection, the fear of what people think, or whatever confusion, I, I want us to get those things off of us. And so there's a couple things that I'll, I'll say here that I think might help us overcome some hurdles. So here's the first one. It'll be unique, but I'll explain it. The first one is this. We don't have to leave one revelation to pursue another. So let me comment on this. One of the themes from World Mandate, in particular, in things that we talk about a lot here, is this, the priority of pursuing Jesus as what we would say our first love, our primary passion. Like, we're all about him. We're about him more than we are about his mission. And I would say, yes, I stand by that. What I, what I don't want is a bunch of people just committed to his mission but don't actually love Jesus, don't have a real relationship with him. But what's so cool is you don't have to leave one revelation to pursue another. Yeah. Jesus said for us to be as him to be our first love, but he also said, go make disciples. And so we say yes to both. Does that make sense? Yeah. We don't have to leave one revelation to pursue another. Okay, you can apply that across the board with lots of different things. Here's another helpful reminder. We're not just looking, as we go out and share our faith, we're not just looking for quote-unquote wow stories. But what we're looking for is to be consistent in planting little seeds over time. Now, when you read the Bible and you look at these incredible stories and testimonies, or maybe there's somebody in your life group or somebody at church that shares this incredible testimony of someone giving their life to Jesus in the villages of India. They got on their knees and they said, Jesus is the Lord, and the power of God fell. Everyone was weeping. That is amazing. But you know what else is amazing? When you were faithful at that coffee shop to walk up to somebody, even though you were afraid, and you said, hey, um, can I, uh, Jesus, I know him. Can I, um, can I pray for you? <laughs> and they say no. 
That is amazing. That is glorious, <laughs> at least in God's sight. It doesn't look like it to us, but we're not just chasing the wow stories. But man, I would rather have a thousand unimpressive stories than just one wow story. Of being faithful to just say the name of Jesus, offer to pray for somebody, try to share my faith even though I'm fumbling over my words. Because who knows what God can do with a small little seed. There were people that sowed really small seeds in my life and I rejected them, but God got a hold of my heart later. A couple years after following Jesus, I put a bunch of stuff on my Facebook page about how much I love God and my, my hobbies were, you know, basketball, but praying, fasting, and the fire of God. You know, that was what I put on my Facebook page, okay? <laughs> my hobby, fire of God, literally. <laughs> and I got this message from this guy I knew in high school, and he literally said, Dude, what happened to you? You used to make fun of me for my relationship with God. You know, but through those little seeds, I didn't know at the time, but I believe God was just getting a hold of my heart. And, you know, who knows how many times we've tried and we've planted little things that are unimpressive, but God just does wonders through them. It's just how God works. It's amazing. Let's look at another one. If we all do our little part then we all make a big impact. It's similar to number two, the wow stories, but sometimes when we think about the mission of God, we think about the thousands of people, even in Northwest Arkansas that don't know Jesus, the thousands of people groups that haven't heard the gospel, we can maybe get overwhelmed with, oh my gosh, how is this gonna happen? But here's the deal, you don't have to make it all happen yourself. If we all do our little part, then we all make a big impact. Let me give you an example in this room. If we want to see more and more people in Northwest Arkansas come to know Jesus, experience his goodness, his love, give their life to him, and get set free from the things of this world, it's going to take an effort that is not just pulled by you or me as a pastor or Jeremy as a pastor or somebody else. Literally, if we all just have one neighbor that we're praying for or two neighbors that we're praying for being intentional with, you multiply that out by 100, that's a lot of people and that's a big impact. But what did you do? What did I do? I just was faithful to pray for two people. And I was faithful to just have lunch with a person at work. But when we all do our little part, it makes a big impact. You tracking with me? All right, number four. This is really important. Just a reminder. There is no condemnation in Christ. And there is no striving for acceptance as a child of God. No condemnation of Christ. Here's why I put this on there in the context of talking about sharing our faith and going and make disciples. Because there's going to be times, guys, when, when you give in to the fear and you don't share. When you have this idea, maybe I could talk to this person, maybe I could pray for this person, maybe I could try to share my faith, and then you don't. Or maybe you have an opportunity and it doesn't happen. Or maybe you just like, oh, and then you miss the chance. Listen, that will happen. That literally happens to me all the time. But here's what's so encouraging. There is no condemnation in Christ. When that moment happens, the devil in, tries to convince you that you should be condemned or that God is displeased with you and that you are just a shameful child. No. He will, he will say, hey, it's okay. I'll give you another chance. I'm with you. Just, just I don't know. Or, you know. Do something different next time. I don't know. But he's a father that's encouraging you and loving you, and he's not condemning you. When we get trapped in the condemnation, in <laughs> condemnation uh, <laughs> it, does, it definitely doesn't help us want to share our faith more. Because you'll remember that feeling when you tried the last time and it made you feel so horrible. But if you shake that off, Romans 8.1 is there's no condemnation in Christ. And we keep going. 
the Lord will help us. And there's no striving for acceptance. It's similar, but a little different. Like, we're not going out to share our faith to be acceptable to God. We are acceptable to God already because of the blood of Jesus. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. It's finished. It's final. You're his. If you have given your life to Jesus, you are his, and you are acceptable to him. You are a beloved child of God. You are not trying to do anything in Scripture and specifically share your faith to earn his acceptance. You're not impressing him by a story and a testimony. We're just, we're just enjoying and partnering with him. And he lets us be a part of something amazing. None of you have to share your faith the rest of your life. Did you know that? You don't have to, to earn something. You don't have to. But you get to as the Lord gives you opportunities. And what's so crazy is when you do it, it's like can be really fun. That you were invited by a holy God into something so holy, so amazing, of somebody having a chance to know Jesus. Last but not least, this is a funny, funny one, but just a helpful reminder. We all got saved somehow, and every time it involved somebody else. <laughs> okay, now listen, I have asked like, hey, <laughs> this question, how many guys in your story of coming to know Jesus did it involve someone else? And there's always a few people that don't raise their hand. No, God saved me. Thank you. He showed up in a dream, and I was saved by him alone. Now, listen, I'm a little weary of those people because sometimes they seem to just not think that anybody can influence their life. But anyways, um, every person, literally, you could take in the Bible, Paul, okay? You could say, ah, God saved me. He knocked him. You know, Paul, when he was going to uh, Damascus, he got knocked off his horse. Jesus showed up to him. Okay, you could say that. But I, I, people were involved in that. You know how? Just before that, he witnessed someone so committed to Jesus that he was willing to be stoned and die and not get angry at everybody, but say, Jesus, receive me. Who was that? Stephen. It's Acts 6. He saw that. There was, there was something that happened, I think, in Paul that at least was a seed sown. You know what else? After he got knocked off his horse, he went blind. He went to another person's house, Ananias who prayed for him to be healed, and then he baptized him. It involved other people. And so, but here's the deal. Let that remind you about your story, but also, what's so cool, you are the Ananiases. You can be the Stevens. You can be the other people that plant seeds in the Pauls of this world that have an encounter with God, and it's amazing to be a part of that story. Like All of you, in a sense, are here at this church because of somebody else. See that? <laughs> Watch out, watch out. Oh, no, no. <laughs> and it's just so fun to be a part of God's story. Amen? It always involves somebody else. And so, so I guess the prayer is, Lord, make me that somebody else. Make me that somebody else for somebody else. <laughs> if that makes sense. All right. Here's how. That, okay, everything I just shared was an intro, so here's my real message. Matthew 9. I'm just kidding. I'm going to wrap up pretty quick. Matthew 9. You there? Matthew 9? Yes? So over the next several weeks, we're going to get pretty practical, and I'm excited about it, uh, about this, this commission to go, and I'll tell you a little bit, like, hey, how do we do this? How do we share our faith? Okay, how do we overcome some of this fear? How do we pray on this stuff? But what I want to do this morning is I want to show you just a little glimpse, on, and we're going to look at Jesus, and what I want to do is I want to talk first, not about the going, but what I want to talk about is the heart behind going. Like, what needs to be there in us as we go? Before we go, what needs to be true in us? What needs to be there? And we're going to learn from Jesus, okay? Matthew 9. If you're there, say I'm there. Okay. 
starting in verse 35. It says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Right after that, in chapter 10, he calls his 12 disciples together. He gives them authority to heal and to cast out demons. No big deal. He just gave them authority to heal and cast out demons. But anyways, and then in verse 5 of chapter 10, you can just look in your Bible there. It's on the screen. Then he says, Jesus sent out those disciples. But I think it's really important to focus in on this passage in Matthew 9 before we jump straight to chapter 10, verse 5, where they're going, 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 sending out. Okay? Because I want you to see a couple things that we're going to learn from Jesus. But look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Everybody say compassion. As we think about going and making disciples, as we think about sharing our faith, what we need to have is a genuine sense of compassion for others. It says he saw the crowd. Let me comment on that. He saw them. Like he saw where they're at. He didn't just like look at them as an object of some mission. He didn't just look at them as a number. He did not look at them with just like, oh, you're going to be a testimony for me. He saw them and he was moved with compassion, genuine care, genuine love. And so we want to have a heart of compassion, a broken heart towards those who don't know Jesus. Instead of the, another way to look at it is like a contempt or a frustration in everyone that's lost. Like, Come on, get it right already. Ever had that attitude? Don't say if you have. <laughs> Just change. <laughs> I've had that attitude too. Come on, why are you doing that? They're lost. But when I was lost, I acted really lost. <laughs> I wasn't like trying to follow God when I know I didn't follow God. I was a great sinner. Okay, how do you grow in compassion? This is going to be crazy. Ask God. God, would you grow me in compassion for people? Amen. <laughs> Super impressive, I know. <laughs> but literally, if you pray that little five-second prayer over a long period of time, what's going to happen is your heart's going to change. You're going to start feeling more compassion for those that don't know Jesus. God, give me your heart. Give me your compassion. You'll start to see a change in the way that you see the people around you that don't know God or the people that, hey, let me take it a little deeper. You're going to start to see your heart change for those that wrong you. You're going to see your heart change towards the homeless person that you pass by. You're going to see your heart change towards the person that cuts you off on the road and flicks you off. Like You're going to see a change if you start asking the Lord for compassion for people. Now, let me keep going here. Verse, skip down to verse 38. So he said he had compassion. So we want to be a people of compassion. And in verse 38, he says, and what he says, 37, the harvest is plentiful, labors are few. Verse 38, therefore, do what? Therefore, just go out there and go make some disciples. Right? Is that what he said? What did he, no, what did he say before that? He said, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So not only... What backed Jesus' commission was compassion, but also it was a fervency and an earnestness in prayer. So 
let me come on this. We want to be a people. If we want to see God move, if we want to see God bring people into his kingdom, if we want to see revival, if we want to see God pour out his spirit, if we want to see our neighbors, our family, our coworkers, others in this region saved and come and encounter the Lord, you realize that that is impossible for you to do. <laughs> the reason we must pray is because what we are wanting to see is impossible for us to do. I cannot and you cannot change the heart of a person. You cannot and I cannot save somebody. We're believing for a miracle. We're believing for something that is impossible. And so we need to ask the God who does miracles and does the impossible to do it. To go before us. To soften hearts. To open up people's hearts. To tear down walls of pride. We need to pray earnestly and fervently for the Lord to do that. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. It'll be on the screen. Like If you ever ask, like, who, who do you pray for? Okay, The answer is everybody. Paul says, hey, I urge you, I urge that prayers, supplications, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people and kings who are in high positions that we may live a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, good and this is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Who do you pray for? You pray for everybody because God wants them to come to know him. He, he would love for people to come to know him all over this region. So, who is everyone? It's your family, it's your coworkers, it's governmental leaders, it's friends, it's neighbors. And you pray for individuals by name. You can also pray for groups in cities. You can pray for all of these different things. And let me give you two more things that you see here that will help us in regards to walking this out and that will help us have the right mindset. We want to be people of compassion. We want to be people of prayer. But here's a couple other observations that are important. One is verse 37. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. What we believe about the harvest, I believe, will affect the fruit that we see. If we believe nobody here wants to know God, that's probably not going to help us in our belief for people to come to know Jesus. So let's, be, let's agree with what Jesus said about the harvest. Amen? All right, say, I agree with Jesus. <laughs> come on, I do. I want to see it. Another observation is that what he was saying, what Jesus was saying, was while he was going. It's while he was doing it. Here's what I mean. The very first thing says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and he was teaching and he was preaching the gospel. He was on the go. He was making disciples. He was seeing what the Father was doing and he was doing it. He was hearing what the Father was saying and he was saying it. And so for us, what will keep us going in this mission are two things. And I think there's a slide up there. One is intimacy with the Lord. And two is going. Jesus had this vibrant relationship with the Father that literally in John it says that whatever he saw the Father doing, that's what he did. Whatever he heard the Father saying, that's what he said. He had this intimacy with the Lord. But you know what else helped him keep going? Was going. You know what else will help you keep going? Is going. Let me explain this. I used to say, man, I just don't have a heart for other nations. Like, I don't want to go there. I'm not supposed to be a missionary. And so you know what gave me a heart for other nations of the earth? I went. <laughs> I did pray for it. But you know what happened? What the shift happened when I was in 2011. I went on a mission trip because Beth was going on a mission trip. And we were about to get married. And I was like, we better do things together. Okay. So <laughs> I did not want to go. We went to Uganda in Africa. And I, like, you know, I was like so spiritual in my reasons. Okay, I guess I'll go. But I'm called to America. The Lord has spoken to me. I'm just going to be here in America and make disciples. Listen, which is great. I think, yes, I was a little bit right. But what I was wrong on is that 
I was kind of implying that he didn't call me to Uganda. But here's what I mean. God has called you to every nation on the planet. You might live somewhere for the rest of your life, but he's called you because he's given his people this mandate to reach the world. You're called to every nation. You need to think and talk and pray and seek counsel on where you should live, in a sense, but you're called to every nation. That is good. I didn't plan on saying that. That's good. Okay. (laughs) I went to Uganda, and literally, before we started our mission, I'm driving in this five-hour bus ride, the only Mzungu, or white guy, on the bus, or with Beth, too. There's chickens on the bus. Every time we pass through a city, people flood the bus, just like trying to sell us more chickens. I don't know. And (laughs) you know what happened? My, I literally, for five hours, my heart was just melting. All these walls, all these prejudices, all these things that I didn't even know were there started falling off, and I started to see people that were different than me, and my heart was beginning to grow for the nations of the earth on a bus ride. We did share the gospel a few times. We saw some incredible things, actually. <laughs> we made some disciples there. It was awesome, but it, it was in the simple going that gave me a heart to keep going. And I want to encourage us, as we're thinking about this commission, is how can we be a part of it? How can we keep going? How can we engage in what the Lord is doing? And here's how I want to close the band. Go ahead and come on up. Is I want to show you in Romans 10, verse 1, how um, Paul really lived out these two things. It's a simple verse, but it catches me as I think about compassion and I think about prayer. He says this in Romans 10, 1. It'll be on the screen. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them that they may be saved. Anybody know who the them is? Anybody know? No, you don't know? Okay. Um, I do. <laughs> He's praying. The them is the people of Israel, God's chosen people. Paul was one of them. And he says, my heart's desire, I have deep compassion and deep care in my heart, and I'm praying for them my people to get, to get saved. And so here's what I want to challenge us with, and I want you literally to write this down. I want you to pull out your phone, type it down if you don't have something to write with. But really what I want you to do is I want you to think of uh, two or three individuals and maybe one group or one entity. Paul was literally, I believe he was thinking of individuals when he wrote this but he was, he was talking about the whole people of Israel, his brothers, his sisters, these chosen people of God. And what I want you to do is I want you to think of who, who can I say that for? Can you put that up there one more time? Romans 10.1. Who could I write this? My heart's desire in my prayer to God is for blank to be saved. Who's, who's, who's that for you? Think of individuals, specific names of family members. Think of specific names of neighbors. Think of specific names of coworkers. Think of specific uh, groups or entities. Okay, for me, I think of a couple family members. I think of just the region of Northwest Arkansas for just the power of God's presence and spirit to fall so much that so many people get saved in this region. Just begin to jot this names down.
honest, I want us to practice what I just preached. And it's really simple. I want us to pray for those names or those groups that you just wrote down. Literally, we don't need to pray for very long. Literally, any five seconds, any second of prayer, the Lord hears us. And He can do more than what we think with just a little. And I want us to pray. And then also, after this, invite some of our leaders uh, down here, or maybe to the side, maybe some of the life leaders. You can actually start in there now. Some of our staff and life producers are up to the side. We want to offer to, to pray for us, pray for you guys. Just particularly if there's, you know, there's just like fear in the way of you stepping into maybe living this out. And or you just know you need, need and want more of God's heart. You don't feel a lot of compassion, maybe, naturally, for those around you that don't know the Lord. So those are two things. But let me, let me lead us in this time, and I want you to pray. So don't just listen to me. You can steal some of my phrases if you want to. But we're going to pray for these people by name that you just wrote down. Just a quick 10-second prayer for these folks. And asking the Lord to, to capture their hearts. Okay? You guys ready? You know what we're doing? Okay, if you don't know how to pray, that's okay. Church is a great place to learn how to pray, okay? Go ahead, close your eyes, just focus on the Lord. We're not just talking to the air, we're talking to Jesus. If you already know how to pray, you can just go ahead and get started. Lord Jesus, we bring these people before your glorious throne. Lord, you who are the Lord of the harvest, you who can save, you who can heal, you who can restore, you know these people by name. God, I pray for my brothers, Kevin and Michael, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, would you have mercy and would you soften their hearts and would you show them your glory, your majesty, and your beauty, they come to know you, Lord. God, I pray for my neighbors, God, I ask you in Jesus' name that the finches would come to know you, God, that you would, your presence would invade their home, your peace would invade their home in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray. For Northwest Arkansas, I pray for the Starbucks I go to every couple days. Lord, I pray for every worker there. In Jesus' name, would you capture their hearts? Would you show them that you, Jesus, are the Lord? Would they come to know you, Lord? Lord, I pray for opportunities to share your name with these people. I pray for opportunities, Lord, to pray for them. 